Acts chapter 17. We, um, if you haven't been here or you've been gone or you're just kind of coming in, we've been in a, uh, an emphasis or March is our emphasis month for missions uh, here at the church. And what we're doing this month is two things. Number one, we are taking up a special love offering uh, that's going towards missions directly. It'll be divided amongst uh, four different offerings that we normally take during the year. We've just combined that into one major offering. And, uh, and I think we're, we're not quite halfway to our goal, but you still have uh, this week and next week to give towards that. Uh, and that missions will go to, um, there'll be state missions, uh, uh, inter, uh, national missions, uh, and international missions that are going to be uh, a part of that. And so if you haven't given, I would encourage you to do so. And then while we're giving to missions, we are spending our time in here on Sunday mornings looking at our responsibility to do missions. And the reason why that's important is because for so many and for many churches, um, giving towards missions has taken the place of doing missions. Now, you, you and I, if you've been here, you know how I believe that we ought to give towards missions. There's a mandate for that scripturally to help and give towards the mission effort of the church to advance the gospel. And why? we ought to do that, though, we ought to make sure that we're not just giving the missions, that we actually take a step and do missions, because as a believer in Christ, if you're a Christian, then you are a missionary. There is no such thing as quote-unquote professional missionaries. As a believer, every Christian is a missionary. And so that's kind of where we've been. And this morning, we're going to kind of continue to look at this. Uh, and, and what we're going to look at today is, is how we can be effective in our missions, how we can be effective in our missions. Now, I haven't been able to um, continue in uh, Taekwondo. And for those of you who know, I took martial arts when I was a kid and then started up again about three years ago. But I've been out for almost a year. I've had uh, a shoulder surgery and just some other things that have kept me out. And so I haven't been in that for almost a year. And, and I love the martial art. I, I've always enjoyed it. Uh, but one of the things that I've always enjoyed, even when I was a kid, uh, that the, the place that I was taken from in Henrietta does, is they spend a great deal of time on what's called self-defense techniques. Now, self-defense techniques, what they are, are, is they are a concise group of movements that focus on pressure points or um, specific areas of the body that make it effective. Now, I say the word concise because in self-defense, you want to get out of that problem in a hurry. Okay, if someone comes up and grabs you around the throat and is trying to choke you, you want to get out of that as soon as possible. And so they've developed these techniques that are very concise techniques that make you effective to be able to get free and be able to break away from that. Again, I said self-defense techniques. These are not attacking. Every one of those self-defense techniques come from someone attacking you. And again, they boil it down into a small group of very effective movements that make you be able to or give you a, a, a possibility and probability to be successful in removing yourself from that kind of attacker. And I think that that's important. I, I, I enjoyed watching uh, my daughter and my, and my wife learn these techniques because as a woman, uh, I, I worry for them that someday they may be attacked. And so these techniques are important for, able, for them to be able to get free if someone's trying to attack them. Well, in Acts chapter 17, we're going to read a story in just a moment that's not about martial arts, and it has nothing to do with self-defense techniques, 
But what it is, is a story that really narrows down some, some specific things about missions that if we were to implement these things, then it would help us be effective. You see, sometimes when, it, when we talk about missions, we get these grand ideas and these grand thoughts about it's, it's bigger than us. And by the way, missions is always bigger than us. And, and we make it way more difficult than it has to be. And Paul, um, in, in Acts chapter 17, gives us some example uh, for three weeks of some things that they did that enabled their mission efforts to be successful. And I want to read those and go through them this morning. So if you have your Bibles open to Acts 17, I'm going to ask if you would stand with me for the reading of God's Word this morning. We're going to read Acts chapter 17, verses 1 through 4 this morning. The Word of God says in Acts 17, verse 1, now, when they had passed through Amphipolis and Apollonia, they came to Thessalonica, where there was a synagogue of the Jews. Then Paul, as his custom was, went to them and for three Sabbaths reasoned with them from the Scriptures, explaining and demonstrating that Christ had to suffer and rise again from the dead, and saying, This Christ whom I preach to you is the Christ, or this Jesus whom I preach to you is the Christ. And some of them were persuaded. And a great multitude of devout Greeks, and not a few of the leading women, joined Paul and Silas. Let's pray. God, I pray today that you'd bless the reading of your word. And now as we examine it this morning, I pray that I would decrease and your spirit living in me would increase. And the words would be shared would not be mine, but yours. Father, I, I know in my spirit and in my heart you have a, a word for each of us today that you desire for us to understand and to know. And so I pray, Lord, that you would give us the message that we need. And Lord, it wouldn't be about me, it wouldn't be about us, it'd be all about you. And Father, that you would receive the glory and the honor for our time together, and that you'd be exalted. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. Well, in Acts chapter 17, Paul and, and Silas, they arrive in Thessalonia, and over the course of three weeks, that's what the text says, over the course of three weeks, they did some things that, that were what you would call, I would call, effective missions. Now, we know they're effective, and we're going to get to this at the end, but I want to bring it up now. We know they were effective because verse 4 tells us they were effective. Because in verse 4, it tells us a lot of the Jews and a lot of the Greeks and even some of the leading women all joined them. And if you look down a little further, and I didn't read it, uh, maybe one of the most famous passages in Acts, Acts chapter 17, verse 6, says that, they, that, that the people that didn't follow Paul and Silas and didn't like what they were doing said that these people who have turned the world upside down have come here too. And so we know that their mission efforts were effective, and, and, they, and in those, just those four short verses, he shows us some things that I, I want to show us that it would help us as well make our mission efforts effective. Number one, for our mission's efforts to be effective, we need to know what our mission's field is, what our mission's field is. Now, in, in the text, the, the Bible says in verse 2 that uh, and kind of shows us uh, what Paul's mission's field was. Look at verse 2 with me. It says, Then Paul, as his custom was, went into them, okay, and for three weeks reasoned with them from the scriptures. Now, where are they? If you go back to the end of verse 1, you'll find it. In Thessalonica, where there was a synagogue of the Jews, then Paul, as his custom was, went in to them. Paul went to where the Jews were. 
He went to the synagogue. Now, this isn't so much a, a message and, and doesn't necessarily represent the church in today's age. However, I would say that the church is a pretty large mission field. I believe with all my heart in America, there are a lot of people who think they are Christians because they go to church every week, but don't know Christ at all. And listen, you say, well, that's kind of a judgmental statement. Well, it's not really my statement. The Bible tells us that you'll be known by your fruit. And you can come and you say, well, didn't going to church a fruit? It can be, but it's not the only fruit. If you can come to church and sit and sing and pray and read your Bible and give your money and all that and still go out like the world Monday through Saturday with not a care in the world, doing the same things the world does, getting caught up in the same things they do, talking the way they do, living the way they do, acting the way they do, and you don't care about that at all, but you can come put on a little smiley face in church, then you might not know Christ. Because the Bible says that when someone, there is no example, let me say it like this, there's no example in scripture of someone coming to Christ and then not changing who they are. And so I believe that the church is a mission field, but that's not really the point this morning. The point is Paul went to where his people were. Now, if you know anything about Paul in his missions effort, Paul was the one that God granted the authority to take the gospel of Jesus to the Gentiles. But even Paul, who had been granted the authority to take the gospel, not just to the Jews, to the Gentiles, would say, as his custom was, he would always go to his brothers, the Jews, first. And so when Paul and Silas arrived in Thessalonica, they went to their mission field and they went to where they could find the people. And he knew they could find the people where? In the synagogue. That's where he could find his Jews, Jewish brothers. That's where they would be. And so that's where he went. And so he went to the people. Now, he didn't just go to them in the synagogue. Now, now it doesn't specifically state this. I'm going I'm to clarify what I'm going to say before I say it. It doesn't specifically state what I'm about to say, but there is an example of this in verse 22, and verse 4 kind of leads us to believe this, okay? I don't believe that he just went to the synagogue over those three weeks. I believe he also went to where the Greeks would hang out. Now, the Greeks, where would you find the Greeks? Uh, you wouldn't find them in the synagogue, but, but the Greeks, uh, their culture, in their culture, they had a rich spiritual history, and they had a lot of, uh, of temples. They had a lot of places to go and worship because they had a lot of gods to worship, okay? And, and so there's this, this idea that these, these Greeks would be found um, in these Greek temples of worship. Now, it doesn't say that Paul went to these Greek temples here. But if you read in verse 22 you know that he at least has done this or will do this at some point. Look at verse 22. Then Paul stood in the midst of the Areopagus and said, Men of Athens, I perceive that in all things you are very religious now that Areopagus is Mars Hill, if you will, and it's a, it's a place that has a plethora of, of temples and gods for them to worship. Now, and if you read the rest of, of that and you get through it, he uses a great discourse because they even had a... a, uh, they had a a, I wouldn't say a temple, but they had a, an idol, if you will, and it, it even said to the unknown God, and Paul uses that to, to, to preach to them about the God they didn't know, which is Jesus, okay? So he does that, and there's not a, 
There's not, so there is an example of him doing that, but there's another example from our text that I believe tells us that he didn't just go to the synagogue, but he also would have went to these temples of worship in the Greeks. And here's how I know. Look at what it says in verse 4. In verse 4, he says, And some of them were persuaded, talking about the Jews, and listen, and a great multitude of devout Greeks. It's the key word is devout. Now, if you and I were going to sit around and say someone's a devout Christian, where would you know to find a devout Christian at their place of worship? The Greeks are no different. Okay, it was very specific. He found a great multitude of devout Greeks, and devout Greeks would have at some point been in these temples. But I digress. It doesn't matter. Even if he didn't go to the temples, we know he went to them. Why? Because they heard the message. And the reason why we know they heard the message is because they followed him. So what the text tells us is Paul, basically, the idea is Paul understood that his missions field was where the people are. That's the the whole point. The missions field is where the people are. You see, if our missions effort are going to be effective, then church, we have to go where the lost are. For too many in the church and too many churches, they are sitting around waiting for the lost to come in. Now, there's nothing wrong with inviting lost people to church. I, I don't, there's nothing wrong with that. I would encourage you to do that. As a matter of fact, in two weeks, it's going to be Easter Sunday. If you read the back of your bulletin, uh, the insert, and you read through the questions for further thought, the very last one, number 10, is a challenge for you to, to pray about five different people you can invite to church on Easter Sunday where you know for a fact they're going to come and, and be able to hear the gospel message of Jesus Christ. And so I, there's nothing wrong with inviting people to church, but that doesn't change the fact that our greatest mission field is not in here, our missions field is outside the walls. And that's what Paul knew. Paul knew that he needed to go to where the lost people were. I've got to go to the people. I don't want to sit back and wait on them to come to me. I want to go where they are. Now, I want you to think about this. What would you think about a man who says he's going to go fishing and says he's fisherman and he has all the equipment that he needs yet he only carries around his bucket and his fishing pole and he won't get anywhere near the edge of the water Uh, even worse what would you think of someone who says they're a great fisherman and gets all dressed up in their fishing gear and even has their fishing pole sitting beside them but never leaves their front porch we'd probably think the man's crazy or he just likes his fishing gear or he likes to look like a fisherman But you're not a fisherman until you go where the fish are. So you can have all the equipment, you can look the part, but you're not a fisherman until you go where the fish are. And the Bible says Jesus came to make us fishers of men. And you and I can't be fishers of men if we don't go where the people are. Another thing about fishing, and I've said this before, so it's not truly, it's not real enlightening thought, but uh, I think John has said it before in his Sunday school. And I don't know about you, but fish normally don't just jump in the boat. If you want to go fishing, you got to go to where they are and you got to cast a net or line, however. But you got to fish. And, and that's the whole point here is for our missions effort to be effective, we have to be willing to go where they are. Got to go to the lost. Don't wait on them to come to you, go to them. Number two, 
There's a second effective part of missions that he shows us in our text, and it's not only that he went and understood his missions field, where that was, he had to go to the people, but there's a, we've got to understand that our, what our missions consistency is. Look at verse 2 again. Look at verse 2. He says, Then Paul, as his custom was, went into them, and for three Sabbaths reasoned with them from the Scriptures. Three weeks. Three weeks. The point of that is this. In missions, there's got to be some consistency. Now, in Paul's case, it was just three weeks, because that's how long they were there, and then they moved on. For us, we don't, you know... Looking at it in terms of longevity, it's, I mean, it's wherever you are, whenever you are, but you never quit. There's got to be some consistency. Let, let me say it like this. You can't share the gospel in missions just once and be done. You can't. You say, well, Brother Dwayne, what if they don't respond one time? Should I keep going back? Yes. Because the truth of the matter is, you and I don't know what God's doing in their life. We don't know what the Holy Spirit's doing in their life. And we are not, it is not our spot and it's not our place to write people off and say they're unsavable. They'll never respond to the gospel. Or they, they keep letting me down, so I'm just going to kind of give up on them. I think about that because Paul did this for three weeks and we don't know how long it took. I mean, the, the end result of them the world upside down in that location was after three weeks. We don't know. Maybe it started to turn upside down after a day. We don't know, but what we do know is within three weeks it had. What, what that means is that Paul didn't just give up. He continued to do what his mission was, and that was to take the gospel to the people consistently. He didn't give up on them. We have to continually share our faith because we just don't know how long it's going to take. I've shared this example before. I'll share it again because it's a real example, real-life example. But Jenna's mother was saved at 16 years old, didn't grow up in a Christian household at all. Matter of fact, the, the effect of her grandma, Jenna's grandmother's Christianity uh, and her grandfather's was just send your tithe to the check, uh, tithe to the church once a year, and that you're good. That's all you need to do. You don't need to go. You don't need to really, there's this whole Jesus thing. Just make sure you send your money and you'll stay in the church's good graces and you'll stay in God's good graces. And that was kind of what they did. And, and even though she wanted nothing to do with spiritual things and nothing to do with God, she still once a year sent her tithe check to that church in the town she lived in. So Jenna's mom was saved at 16 and immediately began to, to find opportunities to witness to her mother and pray for her mother and witness to her mother. And her mother took 41 years before she gave her heart to Christ, 10 days before she died. And I, I'm, I'm, I'm thankful that my wife got to play a part in that. Because I was, I was there when my wife shared the gospel with her once, and she picked up a steak knife and said, nope. She wanted nothing to do with the God. I don't know about you, but if somebody in my family pulled up a steak knife at me and said no, I'd probably stop. But they never stopped for 41 years. And she gave her heart to Christ. And she is in heaven at this moment. The, th the fact of the matter is that we've got to be consistent. We don't give up on people. I'm thankful. I'm thankful that some of the ones that really invested in me when I was younger and tried to get me going to church didn't quit on me. I've told y'all before, but um, I was a product of bus ministry. And what I mean by that is 
I started really going to church through a bus ministry at First Baptist We Woke Up by Max Filson, my grandparents' next-door neighbor, picked me up. I'm thankful, Max, who's gone on to be with the Lord now, I'm thankful that every Sunday that I got up and walked to the door and waved him on, not going today. I'm thankful he didn't quit on me. Every Sunday, I could guarantee you he'd be out there honking that horn, waiting on me to come to the door. And even if I waved him on, guess where he was next Sunday? right back at my house, honking the horn, waiting for me to come. And I'm thankful he didn't give up on me. See, we don't need to give up. We need to be consistent. And sometimes it may be three weeks. It may take longer. It may only be one. We don't know, but we need to be consistent. And that's what Paul did, and that's what made him so effective. He understood what his mission's field was. It's the people. He understood that he had to be consistent. He couldn't just do it once and be done, so he consistently went to them for three weeks. And then number three, not only did he understand things but he understand what his tool in missions was what his missionary or his missions tool was look at verse two again he says and then paul as his custom was went into them for three sabbaths reasoning reasoning or reasoned with them from the scriptures you see when it comes to missions we have a tool that we are to use and that tool is the scriptures now this is important because in ministry we're always told about all these different ministry tools that we need to have uh i remember um, when i first started in youth ministry in 99 um the church that i started in uh, uh they they um subscribed me to this ministry called a youth ministry kit that's what it was called and they, they advertised this kit as the tools that were needed to be effective in youth ministry. You know what this toolbox was? It came with posters of Christian musicians. It came with CDs of, of Christian music. And it came with a book full of games for me to do as a youth pastor. That's it. And that was, that was the big deal in the 90s. If you remember youth ministry in the 90s, it was all about games, and you did a lot of that. And, and these tools for ministry were all about whatever you could do to attract these people in, but they forgot to emphasize the one tool that works, and that's the Scriptures. You see, we can have all the ministry tools we can need. I, we've talked about this. Uh, our False Creek Cabin, I'll give you an example. Our False Creek Cabin, a great ministry tool. But if it's not used with the scriptures, it's worthless. Our fellowship hall, okay, it is used by the community for different things. It's used by uh, people in our town when they pass away and they need a place to go to have a funeral meal. It's a great tool, but it's not the tool. The scriptures are the tool, and Paul knew that. That's why he went to them and he reasoned with them from the scripture. Now, why is it important that we understand that, that, that scripture is the tool that we have to go to the people? Well, listen, the Bible tells us why. Listen to what it says in Hebrews chapter 4, verse 12. For the word of God is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword. It penetrates even to the dividing soul and spirit, the joints and marrow, and it judges the thoughts and the intentions of the heart. Listen, all those other tools can do some things, but only the Word of God can penetrate the heart. The Bible tells us in 2 Timothy chapter 3 that all Scripture is inspired by God and is useful for teaching, for correcting, for rebuking, and reproving. 
and training us in righteousness so that we know what we ought to be doing moving forward. It's the Word of God that's important. It's our tool that we need to have. Now, there are other, there are other tools that we can use from time to time, and those are okay, but our primary tool should always be the Word of God because only the Word of God has the power to pierce the heart. You see, all the other tools, they might influence the head. They might. But if people only get the knowledge of God in their head, but not in their heart, which is the ever bit of their being, then they're missing it. You just hear it like this. Uh, you've, if you know about Jesus here, but you don't have Jesus here, you're missing heaven by 18 inches. We've heard that. And that's true because even Satan believes in God, but he doesn't believe in God. See, there's a difference. And Paul knew the only way to really get to the heart of those people was to use the scriptures. And so you and I need to be equipped in the word of God. And you say, Brother Wayne, how can I get equipped in the word of God? Well, listen, we have Bible studies here where you can be equipped. We have Sunday school classes. We have Sunday morning, which we divide the word of God in here on Sunday mornings. We have home groups on Sunday night that divide the word of God. Right now, Justin Ashley's, they're not meeting tonight, but normally going through the book of Philippians with Matt Chandler, great Bible scholar, great Bible teacher. Okay, we have Wednesday night activities where we're studying the Word of God. For example, the adults are going through the book of Revelation right now. The youth study the Word of God. Our children study the Word of God. Listen, there are ways for you to get just through the church into the Word of God. But listen, you also have time at home. And if you're a Christian, you have a Bible and you have the Holy Spirit in you. And that's all you really need. And so we need to make sure we're studying the Word of God because that is our tool to go to the world. Number four, they understood his tool, that it needed to be consistent, where are we supposed to go? And number four, he understood what he was supposed to proclaim when he got there. You see, he used the Scriptures to specifically proclaim one thing, and that is found in verse 3. Look at verse 3. He says, explaining and demonstrating that Christ had to suffer and rise again from the dead and saying, this Jesus whom I preach to you is the Christ. So the tool was the scriptures, but that he was using the scriptures to proclaim one truth. And that one truth is that Jesus, the one who they crucified, is the Christ. He is the anointed one. He is the Messiah. He is the son of living God. And that is what Paul went to the people to proclaim. Listen, our mission is not to proclaim ourselves. It's not to proclaim our church or, or how good the church is. And, and I think we have a good church, but our mission is not to proclaim ourselves or our church. Our mission is to proclaim Christ. And you say, well, what, what do we do when we proclaim Christ? Well, we've got to, number one, we've got to tell people who he is. He's the son of God. We've got to tell people what he did. He came and he lived on this earth, a physical life, and that he, he, he willingly gave up his life to be crucified on the cross of Calvary and died shedding his blood for your sin and my sin. He was buried in a borrowed tomb, and three days later, he rose from the grave. That is what he did, and we need to tell him what he wants to do for them. He's the Son of God who did everything you need to have a relationship with God the Father. And what you need to do is to come to him. You see, we've got to proclaim Christ to the world. There are a lot of churches out there that proclaim a lot of messages. There's churches that proclaim what I call the health and wealth gospel. There's churches that proclaim how good their church is or they proclaim all this other junk 
And that's what it is. If it's not tempered with the word of God about who Jesus is, because only Jesus can save their soul. And so we go to the world, that's our field, we do it consistently with the tool that we've been given, which is the word of God, to make one proclamation, and that is God loved you enough to send his one and only son to die for your sins and for mine, that if you would turn to him in faith and repentance, you can be forgiven of your sins and have a relationship with him. That's what we proclaim. And then the last thing I want to share is the effectiveness, and this kind of brings it full circle to what I said at the beginning. The effectiveness is found in verse 4. He went to the people, his field was the people, he went to them, he did it consistently with the scriptures proclaiming Christ, and look what happened. And some of them were persuaded. It doesn't say a lot, it says some of them. There weren't a lot of Jews that were persuaded, but some of them were. But a great multitude of devout Greeks were. And not a few, I like how he words that, not a few women, <laughs> meaning don't, don't misunderstand me, a lot of women followed him and joined Paul and Silas as well. They were effective. What does that mean? They were effective with the gospel. People turned to Christ because of this. And I don't know about you and, and, and I, but I do know the heart of God is for missions. We looked at that last week. And our heart should be towards missions as well. And our desire, because it's God's desire, is for people to come into his family with a relationship. And that's what happened when the, when the missionaries, Paul and Silas, consistently went to the people, telling them, using the tool that they had about Jesus, people responded. You know, I don't know how many that's going to look like in Walika and or in the surrounding areas, but that the results of our missions effort were never our responsibility. You get that? Salvation is a work of God. It's not our job to save people. Like, <laughs> if I can save someone, then I can make someone lost, okay? And, and trust me, I, I, I'm not powerful enough to save anyone. Jesus is. And that's what happens here. Now, some of you may think that... Um, you can't make a difference. Some of you think, you know what, Brother Dwayne, I'm not Paul and I'm not Silas. I, I, I'm not one that gets thrown into jail and starts breaking out in song and the doors are opened up and I stay. No, I, I'm gone. I'm not, I'm not Paul and Silas. I'm not special. I'm not smart. Maybe I, I'm not even outspoken or outgoing. I, I, there's not really anything special about me. So how can I be used to be effective. I want you to know, church, you don't have to be the most impressive person. You don't have to be the smartest person. You don't have to be the most outspoken or outgoing person to make a huge impact in this world. If you read my articles in the uh, newspaper, then you know this brief story I'm going to share with you, and I'm not going to share the whole thing that was in there a few weeks ago, but by all accounts, there was a man named Edward Kimball, and by all accounts, Edward Kimball was nothing but an ordinary man. He worked a regular job. He had a regular family. He went to a regular church. Edward Kimball goes, and all he did, he was a servant in his church through Sunday school. 
And in Sunday school, he had this young man that had been coming and visiting his church and hadn't made a decision. As a matter of fact, I told him he, he didn't believe in God. And the, the guy that, that did this, that he went to, worked at a shoe store. And so Edward Kimball, on his own, as a Sunday school teacher, goes to this clerk at a shoe store and shares the gospel with him. The guy that he shared the gospel with, his name was Dwight. Dwight gave his life to Jesus Christ. Dwight is one that we would know, especially older believers in a Baptist church, would remember better as D.L. Moody. The story doesn't stop there. Because D.L. Moody ends up reaching, through Billy Sunday, an evangelist, someone else. And that someone else ended up reaching someone else. I don't have all their names. I don't have it memorized, so I'm not going to give you the names. But I do know where the last name ends. Someone else reached someone else. And by the way, they're all famous. I just don't want to mess up the names. Someone else reached someone else. And the last one that was reached that was famous was a young man named Billy, who we had his funeral for a few weeks ago. His name was Billy Graham. The point of that story is this. Edward Kimball was a normal person. He, he wasn't an outspoken person. He didn't have a lot of special knowledge and ability. He just faithfully shared the gospel as a Sunday school teacher to this young man coming to his class. That young man became a preacher who led another preacher to the Lord, who led another preacher to the Lord, who eventually led Billy Graham to the Lord. You don't have to be the most impressive. You don't have to be the smartest to make a huge impact. I had a guy in Lone Grove, we buried him right out, and this is the last thing I'm going to say, and we'll be done. Had a guy at Lone Grove, he, he was a deacon in our church. He passed away right after I moved there. I did not get to know him hardly at all. When I say right after I got there, within a few weeks. So I never really got to know him. And they asked me if I was singing at his funeral. And so uh, I sang, and, 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 and our pastor at the time did the service and all that. But he was a coach, and he had some of his former players get up and share a testimony. And one of his players got up and said that this guy, he lived his life off a motto of this. And I never forget it. It's ingrained in me. And his motto was this, I may not ever reach a million people, but I might reach the one who does. You see, you and I, we have no idea who we're impacting when we take the gospel. But what we do know is when missionary efforts through us go to the people and are consistent using the tool of Scripture to proclaim Christ, there will be a return. And that return is always worth the effort.